So good to see everyone here tonight. Um, just uh, throw out a disclaimer before I get this going here. Uh, all of you young people who go to Bible camp, uh, many of you go to Fall Creek Falls Bible camp, be really careful who you meet there because the person that you meet there might actually become your wife. <laughs> it did for me. And I'm very thankful for that. And I, I appreciate you letting me uh, borrow Anna uh, for, <laughs> uh, for, for a time. Um, my name is uh, Keith Pickard. I am the youth minister at the Laverne Church of Christ, just south of Nashville. Uh, this is about an hour and 40 minutes away from here. Um, I work with uh, teenagers. I run the youth ministry, and um, I guess they like me enough to keep me around. Um, so that, that's what I do, and uh, I'm going to um, share with you some thoughts that, uh, that I have from my heart um, concerning, uh, specifically, teenagers tonight. Uh, but before we get started, I, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. And this verse is going to kind of set the stage for our discussion here tonight. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Many of you have probably been to a 3D movie before in a movie theater, and they give you these little glasses, and when you put them on, they give you a different perspective, right? When you put those glasses on, you can see, you see things differently than you would see them if you didn't have those glasses on. If you put a pair, this is, stay with me here for a moment. If you put a pair of, say, spiritual glasses on that gave you a different perspective of what God sees, of the way that God sees things, of the way that God views the world, what you would see is exactly what we see in these verses. You would see a barren wasteland. Has anybody ever been to a landfill, garbage dump before? Uh, that's the way that the Bible depicts the reality of fallen humanity. The Bible, the message of the Bible is that all humanity, all human beings have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And without Jesus Christ, without his saving power, all people who have sinned and fallen short of God's glory are doomed to an eternity in this terrible place called hell. And God looks at this world and, and, and weeps. And this world, I mean, just, just look at the news. Just look at the evil that we see constantly in our society. Just, I mean, just look, look around. I don't have to be specific for us to understand this, but this is the world, this is the setting that our teenagers are growing up in and developing in and maturing in, in a barren spiritual wasteland, as the Bible depicts it. It's been a while since uh, most of you have been in high school, uh, I'm assuming. Uh, it's been about seven so years for, for me, uh, but uh, maybe some of you have forgotten what it's, uh, what it's like. Um, to go to high school, to go to middle school, to go to elementary school. And just, uh, just to kind of set the stage for the rest of our talk here uh, tonight, I, I want to give you just a, a brief overview of for some things that I have experienced and some things that I have heard from my own teenagers, what they face when they go to school. The average day of a high school student goes something like this. You arrive in the parking lot, you arrive in, in, at school, whether you ride the bus or whether you drive, as soon as you step out, you hear God's name blasphemed a, a few times by your fellow classmates. 
you go into the uh, hallways, you go, into, you go into the bathroom, and you see people either vaping, vaping or, or smoking uh, pot, uh, marijuana. You walk out into the hallways, and you hear cursing, all types of colorful words. You go to your locker, you look to your right, the person on your right has his phone out viewing a pornographic video. You look to your left and you hear people gossiping about who they slept with the previous night. You go to gym class and you see two males holding hands in an affectionate way. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that, unfortunately, as graphic as it sounds, as terrible as it sounds, that sums up the day in the life of an average high school teenager, at least from where I from, at least from where I am from, from what I hear from my youth group, and I, if I, if if I be so bold to um, assume, I would say that it was is similar, uh, maybe to some of the things that you see, uh, and some of the things that that you face as well. The lesson that that I am going to talk about tonight, the title is this: problems that teens face. This is what uh, T A. Uh, wanted me to talk about, and, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, uh, this was a uh, very difficult lesson uh, for, for me uh, because of the immense number of problems and, uh, and complications that, uh, that come from uh, specific issues and specific problems due to those problems that teenagers specifically have to face in our fallen world. Well, so my purpose with this lesson, what, what I want to accomplish is I want to expose what I believe to be the main issue that causes all of the problems that teenagers face in our world and in our society today. And I'm going to attempt to reveal the beautiful solution as given to us, how we handle, how we deal with, how we cope with these problems in our lives. Think about this word, purpose. Every created thing, virtually every created thing has some type of purpose. This microphone that I am speaking into has the purpose of amplifying my voice so you all can hear me. The light, all the lights in here, um, they have a purpose. This building has a purpose. Pretty much every created thing has a purpose. And it's interesting. It's interesting that if you read scientists and, um, and biologists who are creationists, they will say that creation, all of creation, points to the fact that there is an organized divine purpose in this world. I want to read a quote, and I'm going to read a few quotes here, so, so bear, bear with me. Um, this is a quote from Dr. Michael Denton. He's a creationist. Um, he identifies himself as a Christian, and he is a biochemist. He says, All the evidence available in the biological sciences supports the core proposition that the cosmos is a specifically designed whole with life and mankind as its fundamental goal and purpose a whole in which all facets of reality have their meaning and explanation in this central fact. So he's saying that the, the evidence of intelligence, of intelligent design, indicates that the earth was designed, the earth has a purpose, and that purpose was to be suitable, a suitable place for humans. You look at the distance of the earth from the sun, if you move the earth just a little bit closer to the sun, or just a little bit farther away, if you moved it just a little bit closer, we would, we would burn up. If you moved it just a little bit farther away, we would freeze to death. We, we could go example after example after example how the cosmos, how creation points to the fact that we have a purpose, and creation was for, for us. Albert Einstein said this, God doesn't play dice. He says the the creation of humans, the creation of human beings was no accident. And that means, everybody here, you are no accident. You have a purpose. And the Bible even says, even, even thousands of years before we knew all of this stuff, 
The Bible even says that you have a purpose. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, magnificent verse, it says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. You've seen a magnificent, beautiful artwork, a beautiful painting before with an artist's name on it. That painting attests to the fact that it had a, a maker. And whenever I see that painting with that name on it, I know that it had a maker. And, and you were created, the, the fact is that you were created for the grand purpose of glorifying your creator. That's the purpose of our existence. That's the purpose of our life. That's how we find meaning and value and happiness is bringing glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the God who created us. Look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Paul says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is essentially saying the same thing, is that serving Jesus, giving, giving Jesus his life, that was his purpose. That was where he found meaning and value and happiness. That was his reason for living, was Christ, was to serve him was to preach the message of, of, message of salvation to a lost and dying world that's headed for an eternity in hell. That was Paul's purpose. The only way that we can find true purpose, where that begins, is, can only be found through our Creator. Another quote, Bertrand Russell. Now, this is an atheist. This is somebody who doesn't even believe what we believe. He says, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. He's saying that it is an innate desire for human beings to have value, to have meaning and purpose, and the only logical way that we can find that purpose is by beginning with our Creator, is by beginning with God. And that's the biblical worldview is that God is relational. He has created beings, He has created human beings in His image, after His likeness. And because of His relational nature, He has given humanity a wonderful, soul-refreshing purpose to glorify His name, to serve Him, to point people to him to preach the message of saving grace to a lost and to a dying world. However, this is what, in contrast to that, this is what our world claims. This is what our world says. And this, this right here is the message that is being preached to our young people, that is being digested by our young minds, is that you can create your own purpose. You can find meaning and value and happiness in something other than your creator. A famous atheist, the, the champion of atheists in our modern day, Richard Dawkins, he, he says this, there is something infantile in the, in the presumption that somebody else has a responsibility to give your life meaning and point. The truly adult view, by contrast, is that our life is as meaningful, as full, and as wonderful as we choose to make it. In other words, he says, it's, it's foolish, it's, it's infantile, it's, it's extremely foolish to think that God is the only source of meaning, a value that a person can have, pleasure, your own pursuits, your own desires. You can do what you want. You can define right and wrong on your own terms. You can create your own moral standard and be 
happy and find purpose. You can find it without God, without your Creator. If you think about it, atheism, the worldview that's being preached to our teenagers is no different than any other man-made system, any other man-made religion. All the you look at the um, the Greek gods, the Roman gods. They created gods. The Canaanite, all the Canaanite gods, they would create gods to suit their desires. Whatever they wanted to do, they would create a god that would fit that desire. Saying that there is no God accomplishes the exact same thing as saying that there are many gods. There's a plethora of gods. I can still do what I want. Last quote, I promise. This is from uh, Aldous Huxley, uh, Thomas Huxley's son, who was known as Charles Darwin's uh, bulldog, um, an associate of his. He says, For myself, as no doubt... For most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered. Get this, guys. It interfered with our sexual freedom. The supporters of this system claims that, claim that it embodied the meaning, the Christian meaning, they insisted of the world. There was one admirably simple method of confuting these people and justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt. We would deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. In other words, this is what he's saying. He's saying that the reason we believe in atheism, the reason that we promote this worldview in saying that you can find purpose in something other than God The reason is because it gives us sexual freedom. We can do what we want to do if there is no such thing as a God. That's from the mouth of a well-known atheist. He admits it himself. And, you know, all this, what we've been talking about, it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing as what the serpent said to Adam and Eve in the garden. And if you look in Genesis chapter 3, if you look in the King James Version, you know the story of when Adam and Eve were, they were tempted, um, tempted to eat of the fruit when God told them not to. The serpent comes to them and says, no, 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 no. Hey, listen, listen, listen to me. If you eat this fruit, don't, don't, believe, don't believe what God says. The King James says this. It says, the serpent says to Adam and Eve, Ye, if you eat this fruit, ye shall be gods. You catch that? Ye shall be gods. Now, what does that mean? That means you can define right and wrong on your own terms. Whatever you see is right, whatever you see is good and evil, that'll be it. You can define your own moral standard by the way that you see things, by the way that you want. What you see as good will be good, and what you see as evil will be evil. What God had defined as evil, Adam and Eve defined as good. They chose to go their own path. They chose to go their own way. And it's ironic that the worldview of our culture is no different than the lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden. You can create your own purpose. You can find meaning, value, happiness in something other than God. You can create your own moral standard. It's literally, literally the oldest sin in the book and is being preached to our teens every single day where they go to school, where they live, on television, who they hang out with. Do what you want. Harm nobody. That's the mentality that we're taught. Virtually all of the problems that teens face in our world today stem from humanity attempting attempting to find its own meaning, purpose, and value, and happiness in life apart from the truth that is revealed 
in Scripture apart from God. I mentioned uh, before we, we began our lesson here uh, tonight that this was a, a, a very difficult lesson uh, because of the many problems that come when somebody tries to define right and wrong, good and evil, based upon how they see fit. I mean, there's a plethora of problems, of issues, of things that we can talk about, things that we can bring to light. I just want to mention just, just a few things. Um, in talking to, I, I talked to some, some of you, some of you guys, uh, before this lesson, um, uh, and uh, so some of you had gave me some feedback on, on some specific problems that that teenagers are, are dealing with, that teenagers are, are going through, uh, and I can see it in my my own youth group as as well. Uh, drugs and and alcohol, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a big one. Uh, the thinking here is that there's there's great value. There's tremendous value in in, uh, in in becoming intoxicated, in getting high, because because it brings me pleasure. It makes me feel rebellious. It makes me feel powerful, and it makes me feel cool. Uh, I want to want to tell you a story that's um, a part of my life um, that uh, that, is, that is close to my heart. My, my granddad, and this, this is no secret, um, he tells people this, but uh, my granddad was, a, uh, was an alcoholic uh, for 40-plus uh, years. And I can honestly say, uh, teenagers, and, and not just teenagers, everybody, uh, there's, there's nothing good <laughs> uh, that comes from that type of lifestyle. There's nothing good that comes from an addictive lifestyle. If I am somebody who is constantly consuming alcohol for the purpose of being rebellious or, or cool, you know, that's, um, that's going specifically against what God says. When I give my mind, the beautiful mind that God has given to me over to a substance, over to something else. When I surrender my mind over to something else, I can't. I can't think. I can't make logical decisions. I can't. I can't make choices the way that God wants me to. Finding happiness through through drugs, through alcohol, uh, guys, everybody, it'll never satisfy. Trying to find meaning, meaning and purpose and, and happiness and, um, and that next high, that, that next drink, uh, a lot of the time, not, not all the time, but a lot of the time, it leads to an addictive lifestyle. And it will never, ever, never satisfy anybody for an eternity. Another issue, another problem that teens face today is homosexuality. Uh, gender identity. The thinking here is, I can love who I want to love because it makes me feel happy. Oh, it's just turn on, turn on the news. Um, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, especially in in the um, in the school systems that are around around where I work and where where I live. There was a, uh, a teenager who was telling me one time that he was sitting in, in biology class and um, there was a, uh, a girl named Grace and she no longer identified as a, as a female anymore. She chose to identify as a, as a male. And he's telling me this story. This is something that actually happened uh, right down the street from where I, where I live. Um, he, the teacher was calling a roll and... He he gets to uh, Grace. He calls Grace, or, or or he calls instead of saying Grace, he says Grayson. And then the kid in my youth group, um, the guy in my youth group, he says, "Who's who's Grayson?" And then the teacher points his finger. He points his finger at at the teenager who my the, the guy in my youth group, and he says, "Be respectful. Be respectful." 
Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. I want to read this, this passage of, of Scripture because this, uh, this is very eye-opening and something that our culture today doesn't jive with very, very well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible specifically says that people who practice homosexuality, and I believe that Gender, gender identity change falls in the same category. We'll talk about that here in a minute. He specifically says that those who practice, those who have an open lifestyle, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we even have some people in the church today, some people who claim to be Christians that are trying to twist this and trying to reinterpret it to fit their own desires. And, and you know, People ask a lot of the time, why? Why? Why is it wrong? Why is it a big deal? Why can't I love who I want to love? Why can't I be who I want to be? This is the answer that I typically give teens who ask me this or when we have classes. Um, several years ago, Walt Disney um, made this character called Mickey Mouse, right? Everybody loves Mickey Mouse. What if I came up to Walt Disney several years ago while he was creating Mickey Mouse, and I say to him, Walt, I don't like the fact, I don't like the fact that you called Mickey a mouse. I would rather call him uh, Mickey the chipmunk, or Mickey the squirrel, or, or how about Mickey the, the rat? How, how do you think would Walt Disney would feel if... If, if, if he was faced with a situation like that, well, he would probably be offended. He would be offended. And he would say, don't change something that I have created and ordained as beautiful and good. The fact is this, guys, the fact, the fact is this, is that God has created marriage and human sexuality to be a certain way. And distorting that and changing that in any shape, or any shape, size, or, or form, God says an, is an abomination. God says is evil in, in, his, in His sight. This is something that teenagers see constantly, every, every day, from where I'm from at, at least. And even changing uh, gender identity, I believe, is just, is, is just as evil. It's saying, God, what you created me to be is not good enough. I want to be something else. Guys, finding value and, and meaning and happiness in a homosexual relationship and a gender identity change, it's, it, it's um, will never, like drugs and alcohol, it'll, it'll never satisfy eternally. That's what, that's what, scripture, that's what scripture says. Um, and uh, it's, very, it's very clear, very clear. Another problem, another issue uh, that, that teenagers face is uh, having uh, sexual um, contact outside of marriage. Uh, the thinking here is, I feel loved. A lot of the time is, I feel loved and, and wanted through this sexual relationship. I feel like my life has meaning and value through this person I am engaging in sexual contact with outside of marriage. I find meaning and purpose in that. And guys, that's, that's a lie. That's a lie that Satan is giving us. You know, I've, um, I've heard from, from several uh, people who, is, who have given me uh, feedback from, from, you, from you guys um, saying that this is a major problem in, uh, I guess it's uh, Bledsoe, Bledsoe County High School, Sequatchie County, uh, the two high schools around here. Um, you know, it's something that our teenagers... Uh, even if they are not engaging in um, this type of behavior, they're seeing it constantly. It's thrown in their face every single day. And just like the verse that we read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, no 
fornicator or an adulterer uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. Sex outside of marriage, it leads to all kinds of, of, di- of difficulties. Um, we could look at uh, research studies all day long, but um, there's the possibility of diseases, um, lack of trust in a future uh, in a future marriage, and, and many research studies uh, show they say that um, that teenagers or young adults who engage in sexual activity before marriage are much more likely to be divorced. Once they become married, once they get married someday, um, that's just uh, that's just a, a, a fact. Um, we could quote uh, research studies all day long, and and um, the bottom line is that it leads to a separation from God. And the fact is that God God created um, God created sex to be uh, in in a certain context, and a lot of the time. It's it's easy uh, for us to have a, a knee jerk reaction to this and and demonize um, sex as evil as bad as wrong. Don't even think about it. Don't even touch it until you until you get married. But the fact and then what the Bible says what the Bible says about this subject is that sex is something that's beautiful. Sex is something that is to be enjoyed between a husband and wife in in, in the right context. I mean, just read the, the Song of Solomon. Um, God actually rejoices uh, many times in, in a sexual relationship between a husband and wife. So finding, trying to find meaning through, uh, through fornication, through adultery, through having sexual contact outside of the bonds of marriage, it will, it will, never, it will never lead to peaceful relationships. It will never lead to um, anything good according to God's holy moral standard. Um, another problem issue that, that teens are, are facing is uh, pornography. Um, a lot of people call this the silent killer uh, because you can access, with, with this little device, you can pull up pretty much anything you want. I mean, that's Google. Um, type in... Um, Whatever it is on Google, and, it, and, and it's out there. And the thinking here is, I can feel sexually fulfilled uh, without, without anybody knowing. I can, I can feel pleasure. I can uh, feel happiness without uh, anyone, anyone knowing about it. Um, and uh, we, could, um, we could spend a whole gospel meeting's time <laughs> talking about the effects of this, of Viewing pornographic material. Um, the the fact is that um, it's uh, a lot of people are calling it um, a a drug, um, the new drug, because um, many people say that pornography is actually uh, when somebody engages in that activity by pictures or videos or whatever, that is actually uh, more addictive. It's it's more powerful than heroin. It's more powerful than, than meth. Um, that's what many, many psychologists, many people who, um, who are in this field are, are saying. It, it results in a perverted view of uh, women. And, and even not just uh, men. Men aren't the only ones that are engaging in, in, porn, in, in, uh, in viewing pornography. It's, it's, uh, um, research studies show that, that women um, are engaging in this too. But it distorts, it damages my thinking and it damages my mind when I'm viewing another person. I, know the long, I no longer see them as a brother and sister in Christ or, or somebody of value. I now see them as an object. I see them as, as something that will fulfill my lust, that will satisfy my sexual gratification. Um, and a lot of the time, guys, it's encouraged by immodest pictures on social media. Um, that's a, a huge, huge problem that uh, my youth group especially um, deals with, um, the effects of, of social media. Um, always, guys, be careful. Be really careful about what you post on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, whatever it is, because anybody can see that, and you don't know you don't know who's watching and who is being affected by that. And what I tell my parents um, at uh, at Laverne, 
is that I, I, would, I would recommend um, to, to parents um, to, have no, um, to have a no-secret password policy on any, on any device that you can access the Internet, any cell phone, Xbox, computer, anything like that. Um, have an open phone policy at all times. And, and teenagers, this is for the purpose of, of protection uh, because your souls are, are worth it. Um, and if teenagers or, or even adults, and this isn't a problem that just teenagers are facing and struggling with, uh, many adults as well are dealing with um, the effects of pornography, of the addiction of it. Um, and what I tell uh, my teenagers and the people who come to me for advice is um, if they are struggling with this problem, is number, is number one, get rid of your gateways. And what I mean by that is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. The, the, the thinking here in that verse is that whatever causes you to, to, to stumble, what, whatever it is that leads you away from a relationship with Jesus Christ, do whatever it takes to get rid of it. If you view, if you are viewing images or whatever on your phone, on your Xbox, or whatever, or computer, or, or tablet, or, or iPad, it will not kill you to get rid of that. <laughs> I promise. There's these, there's these things called flip phones that, that you can get that you can't access the internet. And, and you can even go to Walmart and get one of the little GoPhone things just as good. And you can text, you can call, um, get rid of whatever it is that's causing you to view this. And also, find somebody who you trust to tell. Don't, if, if you're struggling with this, please, please don't keep this bottled inside. Find somebody, find somebody who you can trust, who, who you know that has the best interest of yours at heart, let them know and ask for their help. What I typically tell my teenagers, I say, guys, if you are struggling with this, please, please tell me, and I will be your accountability partner. I will help you. And what I typically do is every day, if a person is, is struggling with this, I will say, okay, I want you to text me. I want you to send me a, a text message every day. Just, just let me know um, how you're doing. Um, let me know um, if, if you uh, failed. Let me know if you succeeded. Uh, and so I can be praying for you and encouraging you. Find somebody who you can trust to help you um, to deal with this. So those are just a few of the problems that, uh, that teenagers are facing. Like, again, we could spend... Uh, a gospel meeting's time uh, talking about half of one particular issue. Uh, but I want to ask this question. What, what, what do we do? I don't want to be all doom and gloom and, and depressing tonight uh, because lessons like this, lessons like this uh, have um, the, um, or uh, could possibly go that way. But uh, what, what do we do? What do we do? Has God just abandoned us to deal with all of these problems, all of these issues, all of these things that, that, are, that we are experiencing through the reality of a fallen world on our own? Has God just abandoned us? Like if, you ever, if you've ever seen the Castaway movie with Tom Hanks, uh, the volleyball floats out in the water and he goes, well, son, <laughs> he's stuck by himself. Has God left us alone like that? Many people would say so. But the fact is this, guys, and this is, this is some of the greatest news that I believe anybody can ever hear. God has given you, if you are a Christian, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, if you have believed in Him, repented of your sins, confessed your faith, and have been baptized into Him, if you are a Christian, God has given you the greatest gift the greatest gift that anyone in this world can ever receive. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is struggling. He's dealing with this, this thing called a, his thorn in his flesh. And we really don't know what it is, but it's a burden. It's a weight on his shoulders. And he, he, he falls on his hands and knees three times. He pleads with God, God, please help me with this. Help me deal with this. And this is God, God's answer. He says, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. That gift of grace, guys, is the greatest thing that you could ever receive. God has not left us alone on a lonely island to deal with all of these things by ourselves. And since He has given us the greatest gift, He's not only given us the gift of grace, the gift of His Son, the gift of spending eternity with Him in heaven, He hasn't only given us that. He's given us everything we need. Everything we need to fight whatever Satan throws at us in this world. Whatever it is that Satan attacks us with and bombards us with, God has given us resources beyond measure to deal, to cope, to fight. Let me show you. Let me show you a few verses. Look with, turn with me to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. This is verses 1 and 2. It says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist here knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is his source of strength. That that being who's created everything that you see around you, this created all the mountains, the beautiful landscapes that I saw coming here, He is helping you. He is there with you in your struggles and in your trials and in your temptations. Another verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. Paul says, Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God. He says, all are yours. God has blessed you tremendously. And and think about this. Think about this. God has blessed you tremendously and given you all that he can give. Everything that this divine, holy, just, righteous, good, loving, merciful, compassionate, forgiving being has to offer you, He gives you through the sacrifice of Jesus. You have been given all that God has to offer. What what an amazing thought. What an amazing thought. That every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours through Jesus Christ. That should give great comfort, an immense joy in our life. Another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That word sufficiency in the New King James, sufficient, Enough, not lacking. What God has given to you is enough for you to fight. Now, what is that? What is, what is, what is, what is God? What has God given to you? Look with me in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And we'll try to go through this quickly because I know our time is running short here. Peter says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What he's saying is that by divine power, 
That power that God has that, that he, says, he says to a mountain, jump, and it'll jump. The God who has all uh, power in, in the world, who is sovereign and can do whatever he wants to do, by divine power has come provision. He has granted by his power all things to his children that pertain to life and godliness. We have been given all things to every person who obtains that saving knowledge of him. All people who are Christians, who have bowed their knee to Jesus Christ, have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then he says this, and then they become the possessors of every promise that God has given. Now, what, what promises are those? Just, just read, the, read the New Testament, guys. Read the New Testament and come up with a list of every promise that God grants to His children. And all of those are yours. All of those are, all of those are yours in Christ Jesus. God has promised you guidance. He's promised you help. He's promised you strength. He's promised you the Holy Spirit. He's promised you help in times of need. He promises you that, that He will be a comforter for you. And He promises that He will help you fight temptation when Satan beats on, on the door of your life like a roaring lion seeking whom He may devour. God has promised that He is there. And above all, guys, He has promised you life. He has promised you eternal life. He has given you every promise. And also it says, partaking in God's divine nature. By divine power has come provision to every person who obtains that through the saving knowledge of Him. And then they become the possessors of every promise. Partaking in God's divine nature. That's what it says. It's not saying you can become a God or you can become like God in the sense that Adam and Eve wanted to become like God. He's saying that when you give your life to Jesus, you will become, and, and you're growing in your faith, you will become more, you will have the mind of Christ, you will become more like God every day in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds, and in your actions. And where that comes from, the source of that is right here, guys. Right here. Right here. God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He teaches, he teaches us how to fight. He teaches us how to draw near to Him. He teaches us how to face this world and its temptations and desires through this. So guys, if you want to fight if you want to be the people that God wants you to be, know this. Make this a part of who you are every day. Never forsake it. Read it, study it, live it, breathe it. Do what it says every day. Everything that you need to fight, God promises you, is in here. And He's helping you every step of the way. So teens and everybody, God doesn't leave you on a lonely island to face problems and, and issues and tribulations on, on your own. He's given you the tools. He's given you tools, the, the, the source, the power to, to become more like Him, to escape the corruption that, that is in the world. He's given you a true purpose to glorify Him, to spread His message, to come closer in your relationship to Him. And the closer, guys, the closer you come to Jesus, the closer you come to Jesus Christ, the deeper in knowledge, the deeper in understanding of Him and His will for you and your life will be yours and you will increase in that through your knowledge of Scripture and you will be more equipped to fight. So what to do? Really quick. Realize that you have a purpose. You have a beautiful purpose. This worldview that's being thrown in your face every day, that's, that's being heralded in your biology classes, in, on, on television, by the actions of your peers, that, that worldview that says you can create your own purpose and, and life is really... Um, there's really no purpose outside of God, but realize that that is false and you have a 
beautiful purpose. You have a beautiful purpose. And that's to live in such a way as to make the surpassing worth of God in Christ look like what it really is. To make the infinite value of Jesus more plain every day of your life than if you had not lived. That's your goal in life. That's what we're trying to do, to magnify His name. Realize you have a purpose. Recognize your inability to do this on your own. I can't, I can't fight temptation. I can't, I can't be who God wants me to be without His help, without coming closer to Him, without a knowledge of His Word and His will for my life. You're not sufficient on your own, but with Him you are. It's the beautiful message of the Bible. Guys, pray. Pray. If prayer is not a consistent part of your spiritual life, of your journey, you're missing something. You're missing something. Communicate to your Father who is in heaven. Communicate to Him. Build your relationship with Him. Study Scripture every day. Make it a commitment right now. Right now. If you do not read the Bible every day, if you do not study it and make it a part of who you are, make a commitment every day to do that. And I promise, not me, God promises that your life will be blessed. Your life will be blessed tremendously through that. This evening, if you have any need, if you need to come forward, if you recognize that you have been following your own path, your own purpose, your own, the own, the own, your, your own pursuits, if you recognize that and you recognize you need Jesus Christ, and if you recognize that you need His gospel, believe in Him, repent of all the sins that you've ever done, confess your faith in Him, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be a partaker of all the promises that He has given to you. If you need prayers from the church, if you have fallen away, or, or if you need guidance and help and strength, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.